Also, I like how I posted all those things and you just like shot them down individually. <laughs> I'm polite like that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, the guitar. That's interesting, whatever. But I sure wish we would stop trying to reinvent the guitar. And Overwatch. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Interface. My name is Andrew Lilja, and with me this time is just Ian Fuchs. Uh, Chase had a scheduling conflict with his baby, so uh, <laughs> his, his baby put some time on the calendar and. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's like, oh, I guess I'm uh, guess I'm busy. Yeah, Chase's Outlook calendar wasn't up to date. So today, Ian and I are going to talk about uh, the little interactions that we that we see all the time that we think are really good and that we really like, as opposed to things that are terrible. And hopefully not limited to any one spectrum of, of conversation, too. Which is gonna right, be it's nice. going to be all over the place. We talk about video games, we talk about cars, <laughs> sinks. Those are the things off the top of my list. There's just lots of really good stuff out there where there's an opportunity for somebody to interact with something and a designer sat down and thought, okay, how is somebody going to use this? What is the best way I can design this to match a wide range of use cases? So you had, you had a couple of really good ones uh, before the show that you thought were really, really simple, really quick topics that kind of, that kind of match that. What's uh, what's one of your favorites recently? Yeah. So let me knock them off a little bit. So I was given a clock for Christmas and it's this one that has like a big light in it. So it, like it warms up over time. So it's supposed to be like sunlight. Um, but in the front of it, it has a, a clock face and these buttons and they're, they're uh, just like touchscreen buttons. There's no actually clicking on it, but it has a proximity sensor. So when your hand approaches it, the face of the clock lights up, the buttons lights up so you can see it where everything is. You can interact with it like that. And then when you take your hand away, it fades down so the light doesn't keep you up at night. And it's just like that simple little thing. It doesn't have to be there, but the fact that it does makes it so much more usable and so much better. Because now like, I don't have this bright clock face in my, my eyes every night when I'm trying to sleep. But when I need to use it, I can, no problem. Sure. And like I, a similar thing for me, and the, the clock that I keep next to the bed is my Apple Watch. And if mm-hmm. you put it in nightstand mode, the screen is off unless it senses movement. So what I typically do is like, mm, it's so good. It, like it'll be totally dark in the room and I want to check the time and it's a nice, I mean, it's, it's green when it lights up, but it's a muted green kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like obnoxiously bright and it, it does use the OLED screen. So it's not like the whole screen's lighting up. It's just mm-hmm. the, where the actual numbers are. So I'll just like reach over and kind of tap somewhere on the nightstand or near the nightstand and the, uh, the watch lights up and I can real quick see what time it is and know. Oh damn, my uh, my alarm's gonna go off in twenty minutes. Why does this always happen? Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I just got me thinking too. I was I've been flying a lot for work, and the Delta planes that have those screens in the back of it, they also have a proximity sensors. So like the buttons and stuff light up when your hand approaches it, and then uh, they turn off after a certain period of time too, which is really nice. Really, I guess I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't flown Delta in a long time. I haven't flown much recently, just in general, but. It's really nice, I imagine, if you're like doing an overnight flight and it's dark out there, because there's a USB port that lights up and all the little interactive buttons you can do with stuff, all that lights up when you get close to it. Huh. I like that sort of thing a lot. Interesting. It's the perfect interface, right? It's something that's there when you need it and disappears when you don't. Right. Um, I know you had a, another really good one with the uh, your car. Yeah, and oh my god. So that's I'm going to shill here. Go. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's, that's a whole, there's a whole bunch of them that are car-related that I think are really interesting, where little things that just happen and now you kind of take them for granted, but it's like, wow, that's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's little things that you don't think you need and then you have them and you get used to it and then you don't have it. And it's like, you, you have no idea how to do things. 
So like my car has uh, a keyless entry and keyless start, the push button start, which just means that my key just stays in my pocket or oftentimes just in my backpack all the time now. Cause I can walk up to my car, I can press a button and unlock the door and then I'm in, I push the button and I drive off. I never have to touch my key or anything like that. Um, which is really good, but it also has automatic, it has walk away locks. So I get out of my car, I close the door and I walk away and it locks itself. So I never have to think about those things at all. It just handles it all for me, which is exactly what you want. You want that interaction to be completely transparent. You go to the door, you open it up, you get in, you drive away, you're done. You never have to think about anything else like that. Uh, which means when I use a car that's not like that, like when I was driving my mom's for a while, I could not, like I would sit there and I'd like, try to push the button, but there was no button there. I'd, I'd try to open the door and it wouldn't open. And it was embarrassing how long it took me to realize that I actually had to like unlock it with the, the fob. That's uh, And my car has uh, automatic rain-detecting wipers, which is really great because yesterday I was driving to work and it was just a torrential downpour, like so bad you couldn't see more than 30 feet in front of you on the road. And I just didn't have to worry about monitoring my windshield wipers because it would do it for me. And it was adjusting it to how much water was on the windshield so that when it was really coming down, it was just going back and forth as fast as possible. When it was lighter, it wasn't getting in my way. It was just clearing it off to keep my, my, my field of view clear. And just like now, I just come to rely on that in cars. I was driving in Texas and it was raining and I was wondering why the windshield wipers weren't going. And it's because I hadn't turned them on. Yeah, I, that's that's a whole – the windshield wipers as a collective are something that constantly drives me nuts because they give you the little dial – if you don't have it's the never thing, accurate it's, enough. it's never accurate enough and you got to click it and then you click it to a different one and you're yeah. for, for 10 minutes of your drive, you're trying to figure out what setting is the right setting to do what I'm trying to do right, right. now. And eventually you get somewhere kind of sort of close enough that it works, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, never I love this enough. car because it just takes away everything I don't need to worry about and lets me focus on driving. So like my usual routine is I get in the, I use my keyless entry to get in the car. I turn it on. It automatically connects my phone with Bluetooth. If it's raining outside the windshield wipers to take care of it, like it just, I'm ready to go. It, it works so well. The entire interaction is transparent and frictionless. I, I love that. And then it's got these blind spot monitors too, which are these little lights that come up in the rear view mirrors that tell me if there's somebody there. And when I drive a car without those, I feel totally clueless as to what's going on on the road around me. Like I've just come to internalize that and use that in my driving decisions. If they're not there, I just feel like, like I'm adrift at sea. So it's now taught you to stop trusting the mirrors or stop looking at the mirrors other than for the little light, basically. Well, no, I'll still check to make sure, but it just gives me a good sense, like a sort of, um, oh, what's the word? I'm reassurance. It's reassurance. And then it's situational awareness of what's going around me on the road. And it's just this passive little thing that lights up when there's something there and when it's not. And then when I try to turn, it goes boop, boop, boop. So I know if there's something in my blind side when I have my turn signal on. Interesting. That's all features that my car does not have. So like yeah, all, I of, all of this stuff, I'm like, oh, this all sounds really fascinating. But for me, like I walk to the car and I click the unlock button and I put the key in and I start the car. And then when right. I get home, I turn the car off and I take the key out and I lock the doors and Yeah. But you have to think through all those steps. And if you forget anything, then your, your car is unlocked all night. Well, I have a garage. I guess that makes well, a difference. Right. <laughs> but, but like, I can't lock my keys in my car. It just, the, the vehicle will not let me do it. So th- that is something that I will, I will say is kind of an inconvenience. And I've run into, um, a lot of times. So we travel, we bring our dogs with us because that's what you do when you have tiny dogs mm-hmm. is they just go everywhere with you. Tiny, adorable wiener dogs. Yeah. And, uh, so we had a couple of times like Christmas we're driving, we stop at like a gas station or a restaurant quick to run inside and get food. And we don't want to leave them in the car and have the car get cold because it's winter out. So we always bring a second set of keys and we leave the mm-hmm. car run so that the heat still runs, but then right, we also, the but we want to lock the doors. Right. No, no, but you can do that in this. If there's a second set of keys that it detects outside of the car, it'll still let you lock the doors. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh, so some engineer at Mazda thought this one all the way that's, through. That's pretty good then. And the other great thing too, we discovered this was so useful. So we were packing up to move to a new place. And so, uh, the key, the house key, all the keys are on my key fob and Taylor had left her purse at the new apartment. So she didn't have her keys with her. And what that meant, because we didn't have to take a car, key out of the ignition was that we could start the car, drive it, move to where it needed to be. And without having to turn the car off and get out or anything like that, we could just take the keys out of the car with it still running. She could go up, unlock the door, get what she needed and come back all without the car ever having to turn off. It was really, really useful. So it will stay running even if the cars leave the car, the keys leave the car. Yeah. It'll tell you, it'll beep like crazy. It'll let you know, like it's, you would be, you'd have to be deaf to miss it. It'll let you know there's a little icon that lights up that says like you are, the car is on with the keys in here. So what, what is the range on, on a fob like that then? You know, I don't, I don't know what the effective range is. I know that if I walk around the front of the car, so if like if I come out the driver's side door and I walk around the front and then go to the, uh, the back of it, it usually locks before I get there. Okay. So if I go from the front around the driver's side around the right front side of the car and then around to the back where the trunk is, it'll usually lock before I get okay. there. I'm just thinking like I, I've heard these stories of like people saying, oh, well, I, my car was parked in the driveway in front of the house. My keys were in the little dish next to the front door. Somebody walked up. It was close enough that they just pressed the button and unlocked the car. Oh. They got in the car. They hit the button. And because the car allows them to drive without the key fob in the car even if it's beeping at them incessantly, mm. they could steal your car. And so that's okay, why yeah. I'm wondering what that, you know, is it 10 feet? Is it 20 feet? Is there a way no, to it, dial that down? You have to be right there. You have to be within arm's reach of it before it'll unlock. And the car won't start unless the keys are inside the car. Okay. So it's doing some type I don't of know. location direction, probably a directional antenna of some sort yeah. that's saying it's, it's inside versus outside. I don't know how they do it. I've tested it. Like if the keys are like two inches outside of the door, it won't start. Interesting. Well, so I have, uh, not car related, but similarly, uh, similar effect. I have a Kivo, uh, door lock for our front door mm-hmm. of our house and it's, it's all Bluetooth based, but it can detect whether I'm outside the door or inside the house. So the idea mm-hmm. is you walk up to the door, you just touch the ring around the lock and the deadbolt flips itself. If you're outside, but if you're inside cool. inside the house with my phone in my pocket and somebody comes up and does it, it doesn't unlock because it can detect that I'm right. on the inside of the house, not the outside of the house. So what if you have lost your phone or your phone is stolen and they've pulled your home address off there and they've come to your house and now they can get into your house? Well, there is that. Although I could go, um, if my phone was stolen, I could actually log into the app on any other device and I could, de- right. I could de-authenticate that here, deauthorize that. My, my concern is always like, what if my phone battery dies and I'm locked out of my house? Not because I don't have a key, but because my key's dead. So this is, this is one of the reasons that I really like the Kivo over some of the alternatives is that the Kivo is still a functioning keyable deadbolt. So I still have oh, a physical key but, on my keychain if I need it. But then doesn't it. that defeat the purpose of the, of, of the, the smart key? Because now your, your lock is just as pickable as it was before. I mean, it's... I don't think it's a matter of being pickable more or less pickable. I think it's more so a matter of, uh, is it more convenient? And it, so it's sure. one of those, it's a convenience tool, not so much a security tool. Uh, right. right. So, and they do also have, you can get an actual just fob that you can use with it, uh, which is pretty cool because like, that's what my wife has instead of having to have the app on her phone or anything special like that. Right. It's literally just a, uh, a little 
plastic fob with a little internal battery and she can walk up and do that and click do it and done that's really good our door lock isn't quite as smart as that it's uh it's this it's this fob right here and if you can it's got just like this little contact right on there and i think that's actually just the battery in there um but what it did what i noticed the other night was that i was struggling for a little while to get it put right in the spot you have to like press it up to this contact and it'll go right on there and i was struggling to get it there and the actual contact itself lit up blue presumably so that if you struggle enough and don't quite get it on there it'll actually light up and show you where it is uh, in the dark so you can get the contact right where it needs to be i thought that was a really neat thing that's interesting so it's, i would like a walk away lock sort of thing too or something like that right so that's one of the uh the nice things about the one, like I said, this Kiva one is that you can also, from the app, you can see what the status of the lock is. So you could, as you're walking away, if you don't remember if you locked it, you just pull out your phone and look at it. And as long as you're within Bluetooth ranges, which is what, 35, 40 feet? Mm-hmm. Um, What's Bluetooth, not Wi-Fi? It, it's, it's Bluetooth, not Wi-Fi. They do have it actually, they have a Wi-Fi module you can also get for it, but right. the Bluetooth is, is, the, is the built-in portion of it. That makes me feel a lot more comfortable because uh, the Wi-Fi is so so hackable, right? You get into somebody's Wi-Fi network and now suddenly you can control their entire house. Well, that and so perfect example of Wi-Fi being a potential issue for it. Uh, last night, the same big storms that came through for you during the day came to us last night. Mm-hmm. And at about 6 o'clock, they knocked out our power and we were without power for three hours. Oh, my God. And that obviously power also includes our Wi-Fi. Yeah. So if we oh, if we geez. depended on Wi-Fi to get into right. our house, like, what now? So like if yeah, if we had that's one crazy. of the other ones out there. So it, it, that the Bluetooth is is an added benefit, and then it also has its own internal battery uh, or mm-hmm. batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a set of double A's, which is terrible. But oh my god, really? They have a, a they have a battery pack you can get that's rechargeable, but mm. that's money, and I can get double A's cheap enough at IKEA. So yeah. Um. So I just thought of this while you were talking. One of the interactions this is so silly that I really, really like is our toilet paper roll holder uh, in our bathroom. Because normally they've got like that spring bar, something that holds it in place. It's just like the two arms that stick out and you got the spring in between. Or it's something more complicated than that. Ours is just this little thing. It's just an L-shaped piece that just tips up. You just rotate it 90 degrees. Now it's sitting straight up in the air. You can take the, the roll off, put a new one on, and drop it back down. It, you, unless you knew it did that, you have no way of knowing that it did. And it just makes it, I know it's silly, but it makes it so easy to change the toilet paper roll. So the uh, the next evolution of that, obviously, is a toilet paper roll. Toilet paper roll holder. Wow, that's a lot of words. Um, that when it flips up and you put the toilet paper on and the tail goes towards the wall that it just like sirens flash noises like <laughs> everything goes off the whole the whole house every connected speaker in your house starts yeah, right. blurring a siren every light turns on it starts it, it t- sends a text to everyone in your family andrew screwed up he put the toilet paper on <laughs> he did a bad job I, I thought you were gonna make a joke about a smart toilet paper roll holder which would be one where that it monitors your toilet paper usage and then automatically <laughs> predicts and then buys you know more toilet paper before you run out i, I was i was gonna say uh or just tells you your usage habits <laughs> it's like automatic oh it's like automatic for your toilet paper right but then you could use that presumably you could you could log into your use or whatever recognize uh-huh. you based on your butt profile and then you could record that information about your movements so that you can send that to your doctor in case you have a problem or something like oh that. my god take medical tracking it's your fitbit it's your whole it's the it's uh everything the quantified self right um i similar to that uh i've seen paper towel holders that are very similar where they yeah. they they dispense. I mean, it's it's like the dispensers you have, like in a an office situation or anything like that, where they dispense a, a preset amount. I've seen those. Oh, yeah, I've right. seen those with 
the home one where it's just a little thing and there's a little arm that comes back. And so it's like, Oh, I need a, I need a paper towel in the kitchen to clean something up. And so you pull and it dispenses exactly one sheet. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure you could probably find, uh, the, what is it? Amazon IOT dash button and program it to auto order or something. Yeah. You could probably have a little thing, a switch in there. And then when the switch gets depressed, cause there isn't enough toilet paper on it or when it's on, on hit or whatever, it then okay. goes ahead and I'm like, or is it more? Yeah. Did I tell you I got a, a dash button? Yeah. Yeah. I got the, uh, has your dogs press it yet? No, it's, I, I got the paper towel one. Uh, and I, I have it under the sink and I did hit it the other day on purpose. And the next day, uh, my wife was home and she's like, what the hell is in this giant Amazon box? I was like, oh, that's paper towels. And she's like, why did you order a thousand paper towels? And I was like, it's 16. It's fine. God. Uh, so then I had to fix, I had to figure out what to do to store them, but yeah, right. I, I, I put them with all the detergent <laughs> with your 16 gallons of detergent. That's the one. So you mentioned connected speakers. I have a Sonos and I really like that. Somebody talked about how there's a difference between apps. So there's, there's a lot of stuff you can control by Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, or whatever with your phone. It's like a physical object that you control with your phone. Mm-hmm. And Sonos is one of those things, but there's some that require you to like have a con like you tell it to do something and they can only do that thing. It can't sort of make any decisions beyond that. And those are things that requ- that let you do something with your phone. And then the Sonos allows you to do more with your phone because what it does is it keeps a, a record of the queue. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that I can uh, say, okay, play this playlist, play this album, do whatever, load all this stuff into the queue and then just turn off every single device that can talk to it. And it'll go ahead and play that no matter what. Uh, it just does, it knows how to do it automatically. And it has this great way of like grouping rooms together so I can have things playing all over the place and I can adjust the volume for them independently or as a group. Um, it's really fantastic. But my favorite thing is we have two of them and uh, we have them playing all the time. And when we leave, you can either pause it to the app or you can just press the pause button on top of one of them and it pauses everything. But the volume buttons let you control it individually, mm-hmm. which means if you're in a room, you can increase or decrease the volume as you need to. And if you decrease it all the way down to zero, it'll pause that system entirely. It'll just stop it from playing. And as soon as you turn it back That's up cool. again, it'll restart from where it was before. But if you hit the pause button, it'll stop it for the entire system. So when we leave the house, we can just hit one of those buttons and be done. So I have a... Uh, it's called the Libratone Zip, which is it, it's another company that's making basically a Sonos competitor, um, mm-hmm. and they actually sound they sound equally as good as Sonos from every Sonos system I've heard, um, yeah. and very similar. Where there's a little touchpad on the top that you can control the volume independently of each speaker, but if you hit pause, it'll pause the whole system, um, right. and then it also has hush for a single speaker. So you just hold your hand over it, and using a proximity sensor, it'll just like. Uh, what is it? Attenuate that speaker to a lower volume. So, if, that's so, good. so if somebody's talking to you, it's it's awesome because I can oh, just I can so just hold my hand good. over the speaker and it, it turns the volume down. And as soon as I lift my hand back up, it returns that speaker to normal oh, volume. My God! But every other speaker keeps playing as normal. That's so good. Um, that's amazing. The the drawback to it is, I, I, yes, I can I can add songs to a queue or anything like that through the Spotify app. So I can say play this, then play this, and play this, and play this, and make a huge playlist, and it'll just do that. Um, but it only integrates it that that level with Spotify through the Spotify Connect yeah. platform. So if I want to do like Apple Music or anything like that, I still have to have my device there AirPlaying to the speaker mm-hmm. or Bluetooth mm-hmm. playing to the speaker. So it has its its ups with things like the uh the hush option, but then it has its drawbacks of the uh the others. 
That's so great because it lets you harness a natural reaction. Exactly. Like if, you, if you're like, just being a sasshole and you want somebody to, to shut up, you just put your hand over their mouth and they silence them to do that to a speaker. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's super cool. And and like I said, it's, it's all touch on the top. So you have your forward and back tracks. You have mm-hmm. independent volume controls, a play pause button, which is pretty cool. Oh. And, and you can... Uh, through the app really quickly just say I want these two speakers to play together or now mm-hmm. I want to separate them and then play independently to each one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Sonos app has that too. And that's where the killer features are I think for Sonos is the software because it's all server-based. So they're thin clients that basically say, okay, here's what I want you to do. And then it says, okay, I'll go talk to Sonos and figure it out. Yep. Uh, and because each one was independently connected to Wi-Fi, the, the streaming, it, it just, it's designed in a really good way to have really low latency stuff and keep everything in sync really easily. Sure. Uh, so, uh, what other cool interactions have you had lately? I haven't used this, but I was, we got talking about keyboards and stuff at work and the word flow, the Microsoft word flow for iOS Yeah, is super cool. It's the, uh, uh, the, the, the Microsoft keyboard that is sort of curved, uh, towards one corner of the bottom screen on iOS in order so you can use it with a thumb. It's like these arcs of, of QWERTY keys that allow you to just type with one thumb. And I think that, that's a really neat idea. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. I can imagine it'd be a little foreign if you started seeing it right away. Like if, if they had really sit on iOS one, it would be confusing, but nowadays it's really cool. The one thing that's really nice about it, I, I did use it after it came out just because I'm interested in these kind of alternative ways of inputting text. And I do like every day at work, I try to take 10 minutes and just like walk around campus for a few minutes, just mm-hmm. stretch my legs, whatever. And it always seems like the second that I walk out of our building, either you and chase start blowing up slack <laughs> or my wife starts texting me or something like that. So I'm like, yeah, that's what right, it's like when I'm driving somewhere. Right away. I'm like, I need to respond right away. And so lately I've been using the Gboard thing because, uh, you've <laughs> got me using Gboard and it's actually, a, it's yeah. actually a decent keyboard. Uh, but I did use WordFlow, and the fact that there's the option to, uh, use standard typing. So you just have a regular, regular keyboard that you're, you're punching through just like, the built-in iOS keyboard is great. And then the fact that it's just like a little swipe to the side, either left or right. And that gives you now the ability to do this kind of arch typing thing, which makes typing really fast and really convenient. Um, but at the same time, it's, it doesn't feel so foreign that it's uncomfortable to do, which is kind of nice. Um, the one thing I, yeah, I know what you mean. The one thing I wish it had was the ability to do, um, swipe on the curved keyboard because I think the combination of those two things together would make text input super fast versus still having to tap out each thing. Um, but it does do a good job. It still has the the suggested words and everything else. So you can still really quickly, if, if you type something and it misunderstood what you typed or you, t- you typed the word two and it did the wrong version of two, you can really fast uh, just reach up and tap a, a correction. But like I said, yeah. The, oh, it does have swipe. Holy crap. It has swipe. You didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't realize it had the swipe in it. I tried yeah. to do it a couple times and it, it never seemed to want to fire. So it's no, it's really good. Okay. I like this keyboard. The killer now. feature for Gboard on me is the, uh, the, the gif search. Yes. <laughs> gif with it. Uh, so talking about that, maybe think about the, uh, valve for a little while they have their, their big picture mode. So valve and steam, the whole thing is the, uh, their, they're, 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 it's like iTunes store for video games, but that also have this whole sort of ecosystem of like, it's a social network content and you can have friends and that kind of thing. It's what people are doing. It's really nice. It's really great. And because they have this big picture mode, which sort of is like a console environment for the PC games and PC games require a lot of text input. They came up with this idea for inputting text using a controller 
they call the daisy wheel, which is sort of this flower shaped pentalobe, or I guess it's like an eight or 10 flower shaped thing. It's like, the pe- each- it's like the petals of a flower basically around the center. Right. Yeah. And each petal has four characters on it. And what happens is you move the left stick towards one of those directions and it lights up and shows the different colors for the buttons on it. it this is terrible to explain. Basically, it lets you type pretty quickly once you get used to it using a controller on a console interface. And I got pretty good after it with it for a while. And they got rid of it at some point, but I thought it was a really neat way of trying to figure out how to allow for text entry on a 10-foot interface like this. Yeah, we'll have a link to a picture of it or maybe even more in the show notes. Uh, yeah. It, when I looked at the picture of this, I had never heard of it because I, you know, my gaming experiences, <laughs> well, <laughs> my gaming experiences, and I had never seen this before. And the second that I saw it, I was like, this is the game console controller version of T9 text input. It's exactly from, right. from our old flip phone days. They got me thinking about it too. Like, couldn't you enter text on a TV using T9 and the uh, the number pad for changing channels? Yeah, I mean, you could if if somebody made the the system for it. I mean, I got pretty good at using that back in the day. Like, I could do it blind in my pocket. Right. We there's lots of days in high school of <laughs> under the desk oh, texting yeah. or pocket texting or hoodie texting. I'm just wondering why nobody's tried that yet. Um, you know, so the Blu-ray player that we have is a Samsung Blu-ray player, and I know Blu-ray, huh? Um, but uh, the Blu-ray player we have has apps built into it, and one of them is the Netflix app. And Netflix mm-hmm. will allow you to use T9 to type in titles with the regular mm-hmm. TV remote. Or, That's really or good. you can do the up, down, left, right through the whole alphabet pad. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's the only time I've ever seen that implemented, and it's only in the Netflix app on the Samsung Blu-ray player that I've experienced. So somebody at Netflix knew it was up. Yeah. Then I don't think about it. T nine is like the original autocorrect. Kinda. Let me take this bunch of numbers and turn it into words. <laughs> well, I, I guess I forget that at, at one point it did. They added the feature where it would guess the word you were trying to go for. Yeah. That was what T nine was. Yeah. Because I, I remember. I guess what was it before that? What was it? You just would press the key a bunch of times, and then if you had to get a double letter, you just have to like wait for the cursor yeah, to so, stop resolving. So that's what I I was thinking of was was that type of text entry. That's how right. the Netflix thing works. It, it it's not guessing the oh, okay you want. okay. So yeah, the T nine was like the get where it would say like, okay, here's what I'm based on what you, is going on here. Here's what I'm going to change it. I, I do recall that I had T nine in Spanish too. It was amazing. Uh, whatever technology was behind that, I'm assuming someone bought and it now powers some type of. <laughs> autocorrect system it absolutely does somewhere one of the things i was looking at too is designing uh for runners and that kind of thing and there's two different apps that i pulled up here to talk about one of them is called uh, gyroscope which you've had some experience with which doesn't sound like it's great it's it's a super cool concept um unfortunately you can't even get a good taste of what the concept is at least Mm. and it may have changed since when i tried it but like there's not even like a trial mode or a trial option of their like regular plan so all it really does as a free customer is aggregates your data from a bunch of sources into one one page oh it is really cool the idea that it can take your run and map with a whole bunch of meta information about like what music you were listening to how long you ran uh where you ran it has this cool thing where it'll map your run on top of a satellite image of the area you were in which sounds silly until you see it in some of these places i really like the one it's around uh a running track on the outside of a football field. And it's just a bunch of lines overlaid on top of each other. And it's a really great picture. Cause it tells a lot of the story about like what the run was like and that kind of thing. 
But by far the coolest thing is the donut calculator it has, which says like you ran 113 miles. That's the equivalent of 77 donuts or you ran, you know, five miles, six miles. That's equivalent to three donuts. Like that's such a really cool way of expressing that information in a way that people understand. It's funny. Yeah. I, most of these, uh, running tracking apps have some type of mapping feature, which I do think is really cool. And most of them give you a calorie estimate. I do think that the way that they're delivering that, um, is is neat and different just because they're they're using donuts as your measuring stick because um, everybody knows what a donut is like they know it's not good for you you can see exactly how bad a donut is based on how right. far you have to run to burn one off um i don't know the the thing that i think is always funny about these running apps and i don't know if you've seen this before is is the things that people will do when they're running and the way they'll they'll use them to track their runs or what they'll <laughs> oh like drawing pictures and drawing stuff. pictures with the maps they yeah. they run and uh, I, ju- I just sent you a link for one. Uh, a runner uses a running yes, run oh, keeper yeah. or something like that, and and the Nike Plus step tracker, and draws penises all over town, running up and well, down. That's a beaut. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so things like that. I'm like, well, I guess yes, I do like like I use Run Keeper when I run, and I do like that it, it tracks the run, and it's nice to see you know, oh, I took this route today versus that route, and how much different they are, and and figuring out like in my neighborhood, there's one block that has a really big hill and the block one street over is a much smaller hill and how, mm-hmm. how different my run is knowing which one of those I took and then going back yeah. and saying, Oh, well, why was my time so good on that one versus this one? And, and being able to compare based on map, because I may have run two miles both times. Yeah. What was different about them and figuring out based on the map. Um, cool feature for that would be to combine that with information about what uh, everybody else is doing. So you get like a heat map of an area where people commonly run. That would be really neat. Strava does something similar. They, you can have, so Strava is a bike recording thing and it has these segments and it can say like, here's what the top times for segments and stuff are. And even though I would just ride my bike to, to commute into work when I was in Iowa, like I would still try to beat the segment times. And that was always a lot of fun I, to do. I have a, a friend who, who bikes in the UK and, mm-hmm. and he has things where he's like, oh man, I've been trying for the last six months, eight months, year to get from here to here around this really windy stretch where you have to go slower because it's so windy. I've been trying to beat some of these guys' times. And yeah. so like he, at one point he had made it like partway up the leaderboard and he was like, wow, I'm doing really well now. And he sent me a screenshot. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I was like, that's really neat. Except that I don't feel like the suburbs of Chicago is a real hot zone for competitive running. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And the other side of that too, there's this interesting, so us too, which is a very cool design company. Uh, they did Monument Valley and they've done a whole bunch of other work too. Um, they did this case study about designing for movement, designing for fitness products. And the idea here is that you have your phone strapped to your arm, uh, and then you can interact with that based on some very simple gestures, um, that are easy to do while you're running. You don't have to think about it a lot. We'll put a link in there. I just like the idea of shaping an interface. Like you have this whole touch screen. Why require people to touch little buttons and that kind of thing to do something when you can have them, you can use gestures on the entire screen. Cause you're running, you're bouncing around. You don't have a lot of precision in your movements. Like that's a really cool way to interact. So, with so is it like swipe up goes volume up, swipe down on the whole screen, volume down or left, right skips or tracks forward or backward or. Yeah. But it's also, it's things like you can use, you can, uh, you swipe up and you, you move like this sort of cursor thing all the way up there and it's got sound that goes with it to give you a sense of where it's going. And it also has this workout assistant that'll give you training. And so sometimes it'll periodically ask you like, how's it going? And you can like swipe up for good or swipe down for bad and it'll give you different feedback based on that. 
Um, Interesting. And then like different numbers of fingers and actions in order to get certain things going on. So in order to like really prevent you from accidentally, like you can pause a workout or you can with one finger or you can stop it by using two. Those sort of like ways of preventing accidental work, but still allowing you to do some pretty interesting stuff with it. So designing the that specific app interface based on the condition you're using it in. Right. Around the limitations you have there. Um, a, a similar, maybe not as fancy, but similar design that I've seen in an app is in Overcast. And I know you've used Overcast before, uh, but a bit. when you uh, play a podcast, if you rotate your phone, it'll actually change the, uh, the button size. So you get bigger buttons for play and pause and stuff like that, which they treat as like car mode. So it makes it easier to uh, like hit your play or pause or next or skip or whatever. And, but I, I know it, when you rotate it, it gives you like this, this bigger button version and it makes it easy to really quickly play or pause. So if it's in the car and a GPS mount, instead of trying to fiddle with a little tiny button to, yeah. to pause or skip, like skip forward 30 seconds in a, in a podcast to skip over a commercial break, whatever it is, like right. now you just have this big button, bam, easy, easy touch targets. Yeah. Overcast also, instead of having like the just generic forwards and backwards, like fast forward and reverse arrows has actual icons are like jump forwards, 30 seconds. They're like circular things like that, which is really nice, but they go the extra step. I mean, of course it's Marco, right? Attention to detail is his forte. Uh, if you actually look at the, the control center when you're doing that or on the lock screen, those icons also appear there, which is a really nice touch. And they'll, the, the number inside it's right now, it says 30 and max at the default 30 seconds. But if you change that, it'll change the number inside there too. And then he also has, how the when you have it on Bluetooth or uh, USB in your car, it'll also show how that maps to the settings in there too. So if I hit the the next button, is that going to skip to the next podcast, or is it going to skip forwards thirty seconds at a time? It's it's amazing in the car if you have your phone in in landscape in the in the car while you're <laughs> listening to a podcast or whatever. So good, bam. Oh man. So speaking, of, so I use Waze in my car when I'm driving. Uh, and Waze has this little bit of gamification going on, which I think is really neat. It, it adds a lot to it, but it also has an automatic a car finder. So it uses GPS to figure out where you are. And when you get out of your car, when you stop moving and it'll then, it'll say like you parked right here. And I love that. Uh, Waze is a lot of fun things for gamification, like putting little candies on the street that you try to drive over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've taken some weird ways to work just for, uh, just to get an those. extra 200 crunchies or whatever they call them. You know, it throws it in your path regardless of where you are. Uh, I've had them where it's like a block off. Of where I am. It's because it, it thinks you're going that way. If you don't, if you go right past it, it'll throw it in your path the next time. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I've zigzagged through some neighborhoods for some bonus points, I guess, <laughs> thinking that I needed to do that. <laughs> I, although I've, so as we I've also had that happen on the interstate, cruising at 75 miles an hour, and I see like a side road with all these things on it. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh I am definitely not getting off here. <laughs> my, my destination is not anywhere near there. You know where I'm going. Yeah. That's funny. So as you talk about all this, I think one of the main themes running through everything is this idea of uh, transparency and uh, transparency both in like what it's doing, but also in, in getting out of your way when you don't need it to be there. So like overcast, you turn it sideways, it get, gets rid of all the extraneous features. So you can just focus on like playing, pausing, skipping or whatever else you might need to do. These running apps that let you do cool things that you've got, uh, but don't bother you about it until you're ready to go at the end. Uh, the keyboards that map to where you are, you've got uh, my car, which just is like the locking. It, it, 
like there are times where I have to like walk like walk away from it or go up to the door just to make sure that it's locked because I'm concerned that it didn't actually lock itself because it's it's a completely fluid process to me. Although if the keys still in your pocket and you walk up to the car to make sure it's locked, doesn't it unlock? You got to press a button. So there's a little button you have to hit. Otherwise, yeah, it would, okay. I would be totally SOL. <laughs> like, and it, is it locked? It keeps unlocking when I'm here, but it, it says it's locked. Right. And that's that's the one thing. I don't know why they put a button on there. Uh, the Tesla cars, don't, they have the same thing. They don't require you to press a button. You just go up and grab the handle and it opens up. Yeah, you're just supposed to assume that it all worked. Yeah, although, right. although Tesla connects out to an app on your phone, I believe. So the app yep. could say your doors are locked. And I think you can even remotely lock your doors... Yeah, you can. Do I, all that I, I, I know Buick yeah. has that now. I've seen their their commercial recently. Where did you lock the car? He goes, "Yep," and he grabs his phone and reaches down and yeah. hits the button, and the doors all lock. So right. I just like the the interfaces that get out of your way and let you do more at the things you already have, yeah. which is so basic, but like so few people get it right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's like um, everybody thinks they're they're coming up with a solution for a problem and. And too many people are focused on problems that are already solved or problems that aren't problems. And not enough right. people are looking at how can I just simplify a really right. easy thing and make it easier? How can I take the thing I have now and make it even better for people to use? Yeah. Which is what the patron saint of design, Dieter Rams, would always do. Uh, he, you know, he took basic stuff, brought it down to the most useful level. Well, wasn't that the, uh, the whole Apple mantra for a long time, too? I mean... Think different. Well, not just to think different, not motto, not tagline. The internal mantra was find things that are broken that you don't realize how broken they are until we fix them. And then, right. and then you're like, oh man, how did I ever do X before this existed? Right. Well, yeah, so when I travel, I don't bother getting rental cars because I use Lyft all the time. And like, I cannot imagine trying to get around in a city without having instant access to a vehicle at all times. Yeah. And that's uh, a big thing. A big push here right now is Lyft and Uber are getting, you know, they're trying to squish them out or whatever, just like they are, I assume, everywhere where it's like, you need to have your car's license and your drivers need to be certified for this and that and all this other stuff. Right. And and the big push uh, on the opposite side of that from Uber is they have these new things now where it's like, you have neighborhoods of Chicago that are underserved or unserved by taxis. Mm-hmm. And how it used to be 90 minutes or more to get a taxi, or you would call it for a taxi to come pick you up, and they would just say, no, we don't go there. Jesus. And now with Uber, it's like, press button, receive cab. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, to be sure, those things have their own problems, but it is nice. It is a wonderful convenience. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about this guitar. Oh, the Katara? <laughs> sure. So, Kitara, I think it's Kitara, because it's sort of like a cross cross between a a guitar and a guitar. Uh, It's really cool. Like, I don't really know how to describe it. So, the neck is, there's no strings. Instead, it's buttons where every fret would be. So, it's six long lines of buttons, and each one of them is segmented into the number of frets you would have in a guitar. Uh, And then, instead of having a... Uh, uh, them go all the way down to the the neck and where you have the um, the pickups and everything like that. Instead, it's just a big touch screen and it allows you to control a whole bunch of different things on the device at the same time, which lets you create some insane sounds out of this thing. It's essentially just a crazy touchscreen synthesizer in the form factor of a guitar. I, I just think it's really cool because it allows you to do a lot of stuff with one hand and a lot of stuff with the other hand and then do things in a natural way to produce sounds you otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Interesting. 
um, I, I remember something very similar to that with, uh, I think it was by Ion, maybe I O N. And it was, a essentially the same design, but instead of just a touchpad there, you would put an iPad in it and they had their, or an iPhone or whatever, and they had their own app. So then you could actually within that app, set up your amp modeling and everything else, plug your headphones into the iPhone or the iPad and put your headphones on. And just, it was all like a self-contained thing. And I don't know that it was ever very good or that it worked very well, Uh, but this kind of seems like the next iteration of that. Uh, But, but as I said in, in Slack, when you sent this was, like stop stop trying to rethink the guitar or recreate the guitar like they're, they're trying to make the full size version of the rock band slash guitar hero guitar and no but it's totally different than that come on you sass it, don't it, be like it, that you know it's it's cooler than it's, that it's a guitar with a touch screen it's, it's a full-sized guitar with all the frets and everything else instead of five buttons but it's still just a. it's fundamentally different it's still just a a synthesizer with a bunch of buttons <laughs> Now you have, like, instead of five buttons, you have, like, at least 110. So did I learn to play a real guitar. I mean, yeah, but you, obviously, yes, but, like, you, you wouldn't be good at this unless you already knew how to play a real guitar. This lets you take your ability to play guitar and apply it to something else you might not be good at. See, like, I know how to play guitar, but I can't play piano, so I can't play a synthesizer, but I could play this. See, and I think... And I can make really cool sounds out of it. I think this is more likely to appeal to people in the inverse order. They get this they get used to pressing little buttons and then they slowly shift into a real guitar where they're now. You think so? No I, way. I think so because, because we're all, we're all used to like pressing little buttons and, and doing things like that. So not musicians, but I th- think of younger than that. Think of somebody who's not a musician yet, who wants to learn how to be a musician. They're going to pick this up because it's a bunch of buttons. You can't, you can't screw it up. You can never fall out of tune. You have all these benefits of it being like a guitar, but, but that's basic guitar maintenance, right? Like, that's not really what it comes down to when you play guitar. You can still hit a wrong note. You could still be in the wrong position. You could still play a bad chord. But with this, you you lose the ability to hit, like, a slightly wrong note or have too much bend on a note because, because you're just pressing a button. You're always going to get a perfect C when you press on the right spot versus since with a real guitar, you could press just a little bit too high. And now you get that kind of muted FUD sound. You go a little too right. low and now you hit, now you have like a really flat note. So, but since it's basically a computer it just, or a synthesizer with a computer built into it, it just means that now like you can press this button into C note. And if you've set your filter up or your touchscreen wrong, and now you suddenly your hand is a little far too far to the right. And now it's a C flat or something like that. Then you've screwed up. It's a different set of learning. I see what you're saying. I just think it's a different, it, it's, it's a different set of problems. Regardless, it's certainly an interesting instrument. Um, I don't know. I, I don't buy it. I, I think, I think it's gimmicky. I think it, it makes more sense for, beginners than it does experienced musicians. I don't think any serious guitarist would look at that and go, yeah, that's more effective. Now I, I, I should actually say that there might be an exception to that. Um, I saw Muse recently in, in concert and they're good. They have one. What? They use it. It's not the same though. It is a real guitar with real strings that go down into the base of it like right above the keypad and then he actually so he can still bend notes and move them around and it's actually mm-hmm. reading those and then using a midi processor inside and then all the touchpad is is affecting the 
the synthesizing on the sound with okay. a chord pad. So it's that's it's similar, cool. but that this is that's as close of an application to this as I can see. Um, is is doing something unique, creative with it on top of something else. Yeah. It's it's not a replacement for a guitar. It's not the solution to learning guitar, um, which. That I guess my yeah, issue yeah, with yeah. it is I feel like they're marketing it as this is the perfect guitar for learning guitar if you don't want to buy a guitar. <laughs> that's totally not their marketing. But I, I see what you say. So like it's like it's a it lets you do more with what you already know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anything else good? Are we uh I don't think so. That's it. That's all the good things in the world. That's, that's all of them. That's all we got. That's uh let's call the the entire thing a wrap. Eight episodes and we're done. <laughs> done perfect no more interfaces to talk about <laughs> um hopefully uh hopefully next week we'll have chase back and we'll have more exciting stuff to talk about i want to talk about hotels at some point but uh i don't think today is the day for it all right let's do it i'm excited for that one um so with that you can find show notes for this week's episode at interface.fm slash eight send us your questions on twitter at underscore interface FM. We're also on Facebook, search interface podcast and click on the little mouse cursor thing. We appreciate all the likes and shares and comments and stuff there. Uh, if you're into conversating on Reddit, you can join the discussion each week at our interface podcast. And, uh, Mr. Lojo, I'll catch you next week. Sounds good. Ian, have a good one. go back to my notes here and just a few other things uh so i have an olympus micro four thirds camera uh and those lenses have automatic and manual focus modes on them and to switch between it you don't do it on the camera there's a little manual focus ring and when you're in automatic mode it's four words is covered up when you want to switch to manual mode you pull it back and it locks into place i think they call it the clutch you pull the clutch back and it locks into place and it shows you the focus distance chart on there and then it automatically switches the camera to manual mode with the focus speaking and everything ready to go it's so good I, it's just really great to like slide back and forth between that and not have to worry about anything on board the camera and as soon as you're done with manual focus you just slide the ring back and it goes back into auto right yeah. Right. It just lets you do exactly what you need to do without having to think about it. And I know a lot of a lot of lenses have similar features, but I don't think they're quite that uh, comprehensive. I mean, like the the Canon that I use has a, a just literally a f- you flip a switch and it switches it to manual mode, and you flip a switch right. back and it goes to auto. But you don't get all the extra stuff on the display. There's there's no intelligence happening on the camera to say now yeah. I know when you switch this, I'm going to give you more information to help you. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And the fact that it also it uses something that you already have to deal with anyway, like the focus ring, you have to use it. So it makes sense that you'd want to use it to also switch between manual and automatic. But your right. finger is already there. If you're in automatic, you're already there. Pull it back and you can focus immediately. You don't have to worry about switches or anything like that. Yeah. Which means on a couple of occasions, I've been able to get shots that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Sure. Uh, so what else is on your list here? I talked about uh, PowerPoint, uh, the new version of PowerPoint. This is so dumb because nobody thinks this are good, but like the new version of the office stuff is actually really well thought out and really well done. Uh, I've been working on a lot of images in PowerPoint. And if you have some things that are like similarly sized or close together, I can't quite figure out how it works. It just seems to be automatic and magical. It'll, and you're moving around, it'll provide guides to lock things into place, including spaces between similarly sized elements. So if you have like two things that are next to each other with a gap in between and you drag a third thing next to them, it'll automatically show you guides for to get the distance the same for the two things and that new thing you're dragging in there it's really good so you can really easily go from like two columns to three columns of images or whatever and everything stays equal 
right. The space in between them is all exactly right. And everything is aligned. Right. Too. that it keeps happening in PowerPoint and it's just, it makes first of all, making things so much faster, but it also just blows my mind that somebody was like thought about it and was able to implement it. Right. Oh, but PowerPoint. <laughs> I know. I know. But like, let's not get all Edward touched on it. I just, that's a really cool thing. 